So good evening. Um, so this is my third Thursday night in a row coming. So some of you have been here and I've been trying to kind of follow a theme, which I want to continue tonight. And for those of you coming the first, for the first time since I've been here these three times, I'm going to just say a little something about what I started on this topic of intention and then say some new things tonight. But before we talk about that, I wanted to have a little time. If anyone has any questions, just general questions, either about uh, meditation practice questions or um, you know, Dharma uh, questions. Thing going okay? No problems? <laughs> We'll have some time, so I'll, then I'll talk on a topic for a while, and then we'll have some time at the end if there are questions that bubble up, either about what we talk about tonight or anything else that might come up for you. So this first piece, just for maybe a few first few minutes, is a little recap from the first night I brought up, among other things, um, this idea of intention, and in particular... Uh, what I think is the real value of being becoming aware or conscious or getting in touch with some intention, some aspiration, some idea about what's important to us in life. What is our life all about? What's it all about? What do we want our life to be about in, you might say, the deepest sense or the highest sense? And um, it may be something that you have a sense of in your life. And oftentimes, people haven't particularly reflected in that way. And it might not be obvious to us, you know, what, what that is. And um, even when we start to reflect on it, it may not be immediately clear to us what our aspirations or intentions are in the highest sense for our lives. So um, I think I would just offer that it's, a worthwhile topic or, uh, for investigation in our lives. Even if it's just kind of an ongoing, we may come up with very specific ideas or, I, or there may just be a vague sense. Um, but um, I think the important thing is, is that when we have an intention, it's like planting a stake in the ground and it's kind of a home base or a guidepost, if you will, and then when all the various experiences and things come and go and happen in our lives, rather than being let, let whatever's happening in the moment pull us in whatever direction it wants to, we can always refer back to this intention or aspiration to help us just choose and be more conscious and aware of whatever action we want to take in a given moment, in a given situation. Of course, uh, that, go, that um, depends upon being mindful and aware, if you will, kind of awake in the moment in order to make a choice and to reflect back on our intention, right? And we often talk about this idea of how many of us, most of us, or I'll take a risk and say all of us, uh, at least a certain amount of the time live on automatic pilot, the term I often use, meaning... We're just caught up in things. We're lost in things. How most of us tend to live, probably most of the time. 
And the shift that happens when, when we kind of become more awake in a given moment or more mindful or more aware of what's happening, we're still having our experience, but we're not just, just caught in it. And in those times of being more awake, if you will, or mindful or more present might be a way to say it, we can start to have some freedom and choice. So we don't worry about the times when we're lost in it because you can't do anything about that, right? That's what we were talking about two weeks ago, right? You don't even know you're gone, right? So when you wake up and realize, oh, yeah, this is what's happening, that um, we start to have some choice. Um, I was thinking of it just uh, recently. I have, some of you know this, I have a a new baby. He's eight weeks old now at home. And um, so we're somewhat sleep deprived, although we're doing okay. He's actually doing pretty good. He's slept, been going, started sleeping seven hours now, two nights in a row. As far as I'm concerned, two nights in a row, that's a pattern. (laughs) So I'm expecting that every night from now on. Of course, he doesn't listen to a word I say. He just goes ahead and does whatever he wants. It's actually been a great Dharma teaching. I might come back to that later, right? He's just going along being a baby, and it's 3 a.m., and I'm frustrated because I want sleep. And you know what? He's a great kid, but he's just doing his own thing. Won't listen to me. I want him to go to sleep. He's awake. I suffer. Everything's fine. I just think I'm supposed to be asleep rather than awake. If I just be awake, be this, it's not a problem, right? It's just classic Dharma teaching. So it's really... uh, He's really uh, teaching me. <laughs> so, um, being a little sleep deprived, the last few days he got his first cold. And he's doing okay, but he's extra fussy. And it's just, any of you have kids know uh, how it can be. So, my wife and I are both a little cranky. So, you know, um, and she's a long-time Dharma practitioner, too, and actually a really good teacher for me. And we both do pretty good. But sometimes it'll be, you know, something will happen. And, and it goes both ways. I'm not, we're both equally culpable here. But, you know, maybe I said I'm going to clean up the whatever, and I got sidetracked and whatever. I just went and spaced out or laid down for a while or whatever. And then she's cranky. You know, Richard, you said you're going to whatever. And she's kind of snapping at me a little. And then maybe I'm like, well, you know, gee, you don't have to be snapping. And I'm snapping back a little bit. You know, we're kind of doing that. And, and then we, we don't get lost too deeply in it. We're actually mostly doing okay. But it's, it's been coming up a little bit this last couple of days. So we've been talking about it. So, wow, you know, this is really happening. And, and what I noticed is, uh, and it's, we both were talking about this, there's sometimes when you kind of get reactive. Okay, that's what happens. But there's sometimes, and it's, I know I was telling what happened with me, and she was saying with her also, where uh, she was a little cranky, kind of snapped at me a little bit. And rather than be reactive, and I'm not making any big claims for myself here, what I'm about to say, you know, I have my times, I get caught in things, I'm not saying I don't. But I noticed there's times when rather than being, uh, well, she shouldn't be snapping at me, and, and that's, I don't deserve that, and, and I'm, sna- I'm kind of cranky back, I might... Same situation happens. Everything's the same. But my state of my awareness is different and I just know what's happening in the moment. Oh, she's feeling upset now. Without being reactive, just to know, yes, she's angry because whatever, I didn't finish the dishes or something. Wow, yeah, you know, she's tired and I can understand how she's cranky. 
little bit. You know, I'm noticing I'm cranky too. It's a whole different thing when you just have bring that awareness to what's happening. And it doesn't mean I have to not be a human being, never feel cranky or irritable, right? We're human beings. Sometimes this stuff happens. You know, you read back in the, in the suttas, in the Pali suttas, now who knows what the Buddha's state of mind was. But just the words, he's laying into people. You know, he's calling people names and, uh, well, not, not that bad. It'll be like, oh, foolish man. It's in formalized language. So <laughs> that's not that bad of a thing to say rather than, you know, whatever we might say in our minds to people. But, uh, you know, and he seems irritable. He seems angry. Who knows? These stories get passed down. Um, what was really going on, or if he was just being that way in order to teach, or maybe he's just kind of angry, you know, I don't know. So we're human beings, these things happen. I personally don't know anyone that stopped being a human being, uh, you know, no matter how much I respect them and how much they practice. So there's a real shift when we start being awake versus uh, when we're lost, uh, lost in things. And it goes back to our intention. Um, so um, I want to say two things about intention, how it can really serve us, but also what I think is a potential trap to be aware of around intention. Um, so uh, my wife had, an in- had set an intention to have a, an unmedicated, excuse me, an unmedicated natural vaginal birth. She ended up having a cesarean section. She was in labor for 36 hours, which, you know, women, she's not, you know, it's definitely there's plenty of women around who she's not the only one who's done it. People have longer than that. Even, but it was on the long run. It was particularly hard and painful and long. 30 hours. Um, it, it was just awesome. I mean, I was just <laughs> really uh, impressed by her commitment because she planted that pole of her intention and it and then what she did wasn't dependent on how she was feeling or how painful it was or this is worse than I thought and I'm not making any judgment about people who get medication as a matter of fact my daughter I also have a grown daughter who said to me why would anyone not just go in and get an epidural just to start why would you put yourself through that? So there's lots of different perspectives that I, I, I completely respect. So I want to just be clear for anyone out here. I'm not making judgments, but I'm just saying in my wife's case, that was what she had decided, which I, I would have respected whatever, you know, is her call. So um, she'd gone 30 hours in labor and then it was just getting to the point where she basically, you know, she wasn't the cervix wasn't opening. She got stuck at five centimeters and it just it, she was getting exhausted you know all these one thing leads to another and it was pretty clear something had to happen it just wasn't going anywhere so they gave her an epidural as trying to and they give her there is it pertocin pertussin what do they give you that helps the contractions and yeah yeah pertocin and then they tried that for to, and then the baby was under some distress so they finally had to do the cesarean after six more hours for a total of 36 hours although the last six she wasn't in pain um, so a couple of things about that. One is, as I say, she went into it with a strong intention. And it was really just impressive 
to watch her. She's a long-time uh, meditator. She's really done lots of long retreats, and you know, she's she's built up the power of her mindfulness and her ability to be present with, which is what we're all doing when we're practicing, right? I'll come back to that in a second, but I want to say when we're meditating. There's one piece of the meditation practice where we're creating certain meditative states that can be very pleasant and blissful, and, and that's a whole piece that's, that's important. And, the, and then deeper than that, even, it's in service of this place of bringing our mindful awareness and right into whatever's happening, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, and learning to ride the ups and downs in a way with equanimity and a lot of these things that we talk about in the basic Dharma teachings. So she's had a lot of practice, which the first thing that struck me is, you know, you know, if, if you haven't put in a lot of practice, it, it's better to have, have worked on some of these things ahead of time than wait until the difficulty hits and then realize, wow, I, I need some mindfulness. If you've never practiced or strengthened that part in your mind, of course, bringing some mindful awareness and some of those tools, even if you haven't worked on it much, is, gonna, is going to help a lot even if you haven't strengthened it. But how much more so if we've practiced in ahead of time? And matter of fact, it's not just for the difficulties. I would say I'm not, this isn't a talk about uh, impermanence or death, but you know that's a big topic in the Dharma. And just to say, given the fact that we're all going to die, right, uh, that you know, having reflected on it ahead of time, dealt with it ahead of time, hopefully it gives us at least a better chance to be able to die more peacefully and more accepting and more, you know, and with a more open, quiet mind and open heart. So in the same way, she had brought a lot of tools there. I don't know what would have happened if she hadn't had a lot of practice under her belt because um, she was in a lot of pain. I didn't remember from my grown daughter. I just didn't remember. I was at that birth, too. I had just forgotten. It was more of a normal, short, shorter birth. It didn't seem as hard. So whatever happened, she just went right into it, not even trying to distract herself, taking her awareness and, and, and she would just go bring her awareness right into the pain. So it was pretty awesome uh, to be there with her. The power of her intention. What I also noticed, just as an aside here, is that how difficult it was for me to be present with her suffering. You know, she's really going into it. And I really, um, it's funny, even to this day, eight weeks later, it still brings up emotion of how hard it was for me. Um, I thought it had kind of washed out, but obviously not. There's still some there. It was very painful. Right? You can see, just even I'm starting to talk about it a little, I, I didn't expect that to happen. And actually, I remember a few times, um, and I was really falling apart myself. I've been meditating 37 years. I'm a Dharma teacher. <laughs> hadn't slept for two days. That's my excuse, right? Well, I hadn't slept for two days. <laughs> but really, didn't sleep for two days, and it got to the end. You know, I was just kind of falling apart. And I got to notice, you know, it's a lot easier for me to be with my own suffering. And when your loved one's really in it, not always so easy to have the equanimity. So that was a place, kind of an edge for me that I was working an edge. Right? We all have our places where we work our edges. It's easy when we're not near the edges. But when we get up to the edge, or if it takes us over our edge, that's a little different ballgame. I was... Um, anyway. 
so that was just another piece, you know, talk about being present with things. Sometimes um, uh, it's a good idea to be able to be present with things. We can't, <laughs> really. The nurses were really great. I was over sobbing. I was trying to be like keeping it together for my wife. And then I'd go over and, and I'd just fall apart. You know. <laughs> Later, my wife said, I totally knew what was happening over there. <laughs> you know, it would have, been, would have been better if you could have just been genuine and fall apart. And, and maybe you could have dealt with it better. So I wasn't fooling anybody. Um, so anyway, that's one piece about the intention where I think there's the power of it. For it to guide us. And so how can we then in all of our lives, when we get clear, so first again, being clear about our intention and then being awake enough when we, when we can remember to uh, recall that attention to, as a guide. And I think I may have shared here, I've been using the story a lot lately in Dharma Talk, so it may be a repeat from two weeks ago, about a perfect example for me is, is that I have an aspiration or an intention to live in a way where my heart's never closed to any living beings. And that's a sincere intention, aspiration. Did I tell about working with President Bush and how hard that is for me? Again, it's not about whether my, your politics, if you've got conservative politics, that's not my point. But just to say that happens to be a difficult one for me. And so I can get all caught up in, you know, that President Bush and kind of go off on it. Or I can remember my intention, that pole I planted, Oh, wait a minute. And this is where it's not easy. Oh, yeah. What's my aspiration? What's my intention? And then let that guide me, especially when the real powerful energies are there, strong forces in the mind. We need to have that uh, as a guidepost force to go back to and then to inform, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to stay stuck thinking I'm right? And President Bush is wrong. And of course, I feel all these difficult feelings towards him. And why wouldn't I and go off down that? Or am I going to? And I don't have to throw that away, by the way. I don't have to lose that or stop trying to make a change or standing up for what I think is right and wrong. I'm not saying that. But in my heart, I also, right along with that, have an aspiration to live in a way that where I don't shut any beings out. Okay, let's see. Bush, is he? Okay, being... (laughs) Oh, it includes him too. Then I have to make some choices. And so we get to see, again, when we hit our edge, um, um, what are we going to do then? You know, it's easy to sit and we close our eyes and we'll do, we'll send metta, loving kindness to all beings. You know, that actually, it, it, that's not always easy for everyone. But it certainly can be sometimes just in a general... I'm, sense. So if this doesn't apply to you, don't worry because we're all different. But for some of us, it's easy. You know, oh, yes, all beings and they all, they all be happy and full of love and peaceful. And then we bring particular individuals in and boy, it gets, and all of a sudden you can start thinking of a lot of ones that well, my heart's really not open. Somebody in your family or a co-worker or a neighbor or, your, you, know, the, you know, the person who cut you off in traffic. And then flipped you off after they cut you off, right? It's, it doesn't take much and the heart kind of, you know, it's a good thing they don't let us carry uh, automatic weapons in our, in our cars, right? It doesn't take much. Uh, I, I, uh, I remember I used to, um, when I lived in Santa Cruz for many years, and I used to, for many years I worked in Silicon Valley and I commuted over the hill from Santa Cruz, and I was going through a period where I was chanting 
the Metta Sutta. It's, it's a discourse on loving kindness. She's laughing. You've probably heard that. Yeah, you've heard my story. I've told it, but I'll tell it again. Uh, so I'm chanting, and, and this, um, I'm sitting there chanting, you know, may, may all be. No, no, and it, there's this whole piece in it. No matter what kind of beings there are, whether they're friendly or unfriendly or hostile, or the mighty, the, the lowly, you go through this whole list, may they all be happy. And I'm going through this whole list, and this guy just zooms up on my tail. I'm in the right-hand lane, too. I mean, just right up on me, going over the hill, commuting in his sports car. So I already had a judgment about this guy. And then he zoomed up around me and kind of, you know, and flipped me off. And then he paused there for a minute and then zoomed around and kept going. <laughs> so he's giving me attitude. And I remember what happened in my mind was I'm thinking, I'm, literally, this is the word. I, I was a little embarrassed about this, but I've told the story so much that um, it's, it's already out there. I think I'm even on the audio dharma with this. Maybe this one will be on there, too. Where um, in my mind, I'm going, you know, may all beings be happy. May all beings be asshole. <laughs> That's what my mind did. And then right back to may all beings be <laughs> And about 15 or 20 seconds later, I kind of woke up and said, wait a minute, what just happened? It, I just got caught. It just happened. It was an interesting place to see. At least I saw it. Oh, yeah. Boy, you know, that's, and how the mind still, there's still work to be done there. Then I can reflect back on my aspiration. Even in those times when it's really difficult and it's easy to have a mind of hate, or I'm using the word hate kind of generically, of ill will. So that's when for all of us, in any aspect of our lives, it can be useful to, to use that intention. But I also noticed with my wife where she got into trouble was, I guess, when a clinging came in. Because when the time came when, you know, the real intention for the vaginal natural birth, and even with the, for the cesarean, just getting the epidural, she really had to go through a pro- It was obvious that that's just what had to happen. Right? They weren't pushing it on us. I mean, it was just pretty clear. Um, she had to really go through a letting go, and there's a lot of clinging around it. Even after she did it, you know, still her mind just... I'm not judging her for it. I'm just saying that's what was going on. I can understand it. It was a hard letting go for her. But it really created a lot of suffering. And then when uh, it was... The, you know, the, the, they had the fetal monitor at that point, and uh, it was obvious that the baby, you know... It, it wasn't going to die, but it needed to come on out. It was medically, she was having a cesarean. That was just where it was, what was happening. And it was really what was needed. And she had reflected on this a lot, you know, about, okay, you set your intention. And the important thing is you have a healthy child and the mother's healthy. And you go with what you get, right? And you've got to learn how to let go. And, and even though I want this, i got to, you know, in the, in the end, that's all that matters. But when the actual time came, you know, that was easier said than done. And so uh, it was quite difficult for her to let go. And actually, she needed about, once it became obvious, she needed a cesarean. And there wasn't a rush. I don't think they had to get the baby out that moment, or I'm sure they would have. Uh, it took about half an hour just to cry and process. And, 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 and still, I think, for um, several weeks after the baby came, of talking to her friends and having to go through the story and what happened and just process it, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm not saying that we can always, so looking back in my life and maybe for all of our lives, 
that it's always easy to let go. You know, I could say, I didn't say this, I never would say this, but just to make the point, you know, you could say to her, well, you know, you're reflecting even ahead of time. This is what happens. And so you're creating suffering for yourself. You, you need to let go. Right? Stop clinging. That actually is true. That's what's creating suffering for. But that's not really going to help the situation, to say the least. It would actually, of course, make it worse if I were to do that. But, what you know, there are many times for all of us where in, in many aspects of our lives, even when we realize that what's needed is some letting go around something, it doesn't mean we're always ready to do it, right? And John Chai used this example of sometime, you know, when you're holding a hot coal and you feel it burning, usually, you know, you don't, nobody has to tell you, drop it. As soon as it touches your skin, you know, it's just, a, it's just automatic reaction. You drop it, you let go. But there are other sufferings we have in our lives when, in a sense, we're holding the hot coal of whatever this thing is. It's burning us. And we need to let it go. You know, when it's 3 a.m., and the baby has me up as it's my turn and the sweet kid, too. Right. And so I'm, I'm obviously not dumping this outwardly on him, but inside I'm just about to pop. You know, well, what's needed is to be awake at three in the morning and be here and let it be this. I know that up here. I know it from the neck up, but from the neck down. I don't know it. I mean, now I do. I've, I've learned. But the uh, first few weeks, I had to suffer to kind of really get it. Oh, so sometimes it's got to burn us a little bit. I I'm happen to be, I think, a tough case. Sometimes it has to whack me over the head a few times. And then finally, oh, right, even this, I have to let go. But the interesting thing about having the baby is, I mean, as many of you know, I mean, really, it doesn't matter what I want. I mean, really. <laughs> it's, he's doing his thing, right? So, um, there's no out except to let go or suffer. That's true for all of us in many aspects of our lives. Only, only in a lot of situations, unlike the baby, we actually have the illusion that there's an out. And it can trip us up, Right? We don't really get it. So as Ajahn Chah says, sometimes we're still holding the coal. And we don't even know we're burning. And then there's the time when we look and we say, yep, I'm holding the coal. Yep, it's burning all right. And something's not ready to let go yet. It's just not ready to let go for whatever reason. And so we have to go through the process. You know, it wasn't like the first night with my son, Ethan, that I got it. You know, I was... It took me however many nights before I really got it where now I just don't have any reactivity. It just doesn't come up for me anymore. I'm kind of, everything's fine. It's great. So going back to our intention, that's a way where we can end up suffering also because we think sometimes I've got this intention and because of that, we can bring in this judging mind that can feel like I should, this should word can come in. I should be Whatever, and, and we start to cling when actually what's going on is something else. So the important thing is, even around what, what, I, what we might have as a very wholesome and uh, positive, beautiful intention, and then there's something else going on with this. That's not what's happening, right? 
you know, my intention, my aspiration is to have not shed any beings out of my heart. And it's President Bush or it's the, the guy and the aggressive driver in the car. And something else is actually happening. The starting point is connecting in a knowing way with what's actually going on. What's actually going on is um, a contracted mind, a constricted mind, a suffering mind, a hateful mind, whatever, in that example. There's no should, because if I get in a should, I've already set up this kind of dichotomy or, or set up a, a suffering, right? I'm, I'm kind of judging in a way, and I set up a stress. Instead, by being awake to what's happening, there's no should. It's not like I should not have a hateful mind. It's just what's arising. Then I can just, in a wholesome way, remember my intention and move forward, not out of aversion to what's actually going on in myself. That's the key point. Right? Knowing when, not that we let go of our intention, but we um, hold it, I guess, with right view. And by that, I mean, you know, we also bring awareness to the, to, uh, and the wisdom of, that I think is kind of the art that we're learning of coming to know ourselves. Right? Because one of the things that I found is, um, um, again, I, I don't know that we all get it perfectly, but um, we can really come to a place of, there's this idea of self-acceptance, which is also this tricky word where we, it, it can be taken to mean, well, this is just who I am and what I am. And so you all have to accept it and I'm going to have to accept it and I don't need to change or move in another direction or do anything because this is how I am. So that would be one kind of self-acceptance, but I think it would be uh, maybe not the most useful way to to hold that. There's another kind of self-acceptance that knows where we've planted our pole, our intention, our aspiration, where we're trying to head. Hopefully, uh, you know, I'm assuming for the people who come to a group like this, among other things, it would be to deepen and grow in what I call wholesome or dharma qualities of wisdom, of kindness, of love, of compassion, of awakeness, of enlightenment, of all these great, uh, wonderful, wholesome qualities. So that's, we don't lose sight of that, but we always start, you know, it's such a cliche, starting back with where we are. So that, that's the, I guess, self-acceptance is just the place that acknowledges, you know, this is what's actually going on right now. Wow, there's still a reactive mind. Wow, you know what, there's a cranky mind coming up now. Whatever. When we can see that clearly in a non-reactive way, then we're free to then move forward. When we're, react, when we're reactive, we're either going to cling to it or push it away, or we, we just create a whole nother... Um, whole level of, of stress or suffering on top of the suffering that's inherent in a mind like that. So I just think it's important that the, the, uh, the, the, just to, to know that the intention can serve us and we want to have it. We also have to know uh, we don't want to set up a clinging. I think I'd like to stop for now. I have other things I can say if nobody else has anything, 
but I'd like to open it up now. Um, if anybody wants to add anything, questions are fine, but if you have any comments also. Yes, ma'am. Oh, just one moment. I think they want to bring the microphone. Um, what you've been talking about tonight is really interesting because um, it's actually played out a lot in my life in the last few weeks. I took a new job, um, and I was hired to rebuild a program, and so I knew that things were kind of bad. But it wasn't until I got a, a couple months into it, I realized it was really, really bad. <laughs> and um, my coworkers were very unhappy, um, you know, and so I kind of got all swirled up in all the unhappiness and the misery and being reactive, like you were right. saying. And um, at one point, I just kind of was like, I can't do this anymore. This yeah. is, I was working 12 hours a day, mm. working weekends. I can't do this. And I made this, a decision. I made an intention that, you know, a lot of what was going on with my coworkers, you know, some of it was external, you know, but a lot of it was suffering that was going on because of some choices they were making about their work life and, yeah. and how they're choosing to deal with things. And so I made the intention that, you know, I don't have to be reactive. Mm. I can be mindful and make some choices about how I react mm. to things. And I can be with them in their suffering, but I don't have to participate in it. Mm. And it's amazing because I kind of made that intention. And then this whole week, starting Monday, it was just amazing, like, you know, in the loving kindness meditation where it says, may you have ease and well-being, I actually felt ease. Mm. And I know I probably have felt ease before in my life, but I never paid attention. So it was like this just amazing thing. Like, this is what ease feels like. Um, you know, things were happening all around me. The misery was still all around me, but it was okay. Mm. I, was, I was just, it's okay. You know, this is what it is. But I can make choices. So it was, you know, that was my experience this week. So it's just neat that you were talking about that. I wanted to share that. So. You know, you're pointing to, I mean, that's the whole Dharma. That's what you're talking about right there. You're really pointing to what we often talk about. There's two different kinds of inner peace. And there's one kind of inner peace, which uh, is where all that kind of stuff you're talking about isn't happening. You know, if you just went into a job where didn't have to put in a lot of hours and it just it was always everyone was getting along and you loved it. It was just all kind of flowing. You didn't have the, the bumpiness going on. That would be one kind of peace, right? It would be peace, no question. And then what you're talking about is, is a really a whole other level of what I would call, I guess it's peace, but a freedom of that even when it's not all calm and peaceful and it's the middle of the storm, can we find the place that rests more at ease or the freedom in the middle of it, exactly what you're talking about. So I really appreciate uh, uh, that very much. So thank you very much for that. Um, That just reminds me of uh, the, I think it's the deity um, Shiva, where sitting uh, and she's sitting and there's all sorts of you always see her with all sorts of or him with all sorts of chaos going on around but the deity is always at peace is it does anybody know is it Shiva does the Shiva or Shakti I, I don't see know I don't know the kind of the Hindu world that much so it's it's I guess it's a Hindu God but I, I always see that statue and think about um, keeping your peace while yeah. while chaos unfolds around us and I was gonna say you should get that statue <laughs> this represents you <laughs> yeah. I have a lithograph at home that um, 
done by an artist named Richard Stein. Some of you may have heard of Richard Stein. He was more big, maybe in the 70s. And it shows all these... I should bring that in sometimes because um, I just love it. Uh, it shows all these like jagged, rough, sharp, pointy edges. And then there's a rainbow. And then a bird standing on the rainbow. And then he just wrote this little caption. It just says, um, Zen bird... I don't know what that is. Zen bird rides a rainbow over the rough edges of the world. And I think that's what it's talking about. And, of course, we don't want to get Pollyanna-ish about it. You know, you're not going to be perfect all the time at your job there. And, of course, you'll have your times there. But it's a huge shift, just the amount of time you can do it, right? And so the amount that we can uh, learn to ride the ups and downs and, and experience it all, but not be jerked around by it all so much, you know, that's how we can kind of ride over it. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Could we just pass the microphone uh, over? First of all, I'm very honored, uh, Richard, for your humility in uh, being real. It's very um, touching. Uh, you know, I went to go see uh, one of the Tibetan Rinpoche's, and he spoke. And um, it was no no answer question thing. He just spoke and and left. And he was surrounded by a a wall of people to keep them at bay from getting anywhere close to him. And he sat down and spoke. And he said, it was quite a wonderful experience. There are moments in his life where he gets angry or upset, agitated, frustrated or something to that nature. But it's... Like that, and then it's gone. And then I heard another uh, saying: uh, "From out of the mud come, grows comes the lotus." So it starts from the earth and grows through the into the water, through the water, and then finally buds up and rests up, floating upon the water. And but it's always aspiring to transcend to the sunlight of the spirit, so to speak from where it gets its growth, from earth, water, you know, all the elements. And um, we're stardust. And so we're constantly striving to transcend to that enlightenment, no matter how far of the scale of enlightenment we've gone. It's a constant growth of enlightenment, you know, at different levels of enlightenment. But nevertheless, uh, the human condition does set in. And, you know, um, even in, and of course, I'm sure there's this whole idea of whatever enlightenment is. There's lots of different models of that. And there may be people here even think in those terms. And there may be plenty of people here who don't particularly think. I think I was sharing a couple weeks ago that I don't really think like that myself much. Um, But... um, even in the models of enlightenment, there's this, you know, this kind of this, it's a debate or, or a conversation about does it mean uh, what they call the defilements, which is kind of a triggering word for some people, just the parts of the mind where we can tend to get caught and create suffering, basically, have been so uprooted that none of these difficult mind states can ever arise at all versus a model in which they can arise, but you're just not bothered or ever caught in it and totally just seeing seeing it more for what it is. And so there's, you know, a couple of different ways that people even hold this idea of what it would be to be, you know, whatever enlightenment is. So. And in the end, it really comes down to in, in each moment, we just are who and what we are anyway. 
Right. And so that's the place we start from. And then hopefully, you know, we do move in a place where it'd be nice to uh, have a less reactive mind. And, to, and just like you're talking about in different levels. And and um, I don't know what's ultimately possible. I, can't, I haven't reached the end of the path myself, so I, I don't know. But uh, we're all kind of finding out together. Yes. Um. So I had a question about the actual setting of the post out there. Um, so I, I think a lot of people have the experience where you sort of have cycles in your life. Maybe it's like a few years or five years, ten years, whatever, and then you sort of you'll sort of come home, reevaluate, set some new posts, and then you're sort of off again. But you have those sort of natural cycles, and so. Um, I tend to, you know, I sort of start from my thinking mind with that type of thing, and I think about the things that I've wanted to accomplish, and I break them down into pieces right. and steps, yeah. and you know, so, um, you know, but then you can come up with some very material yeah, yeah. goals, like I want to live in this sort of a sure. space, or I want to, you know, have these types of people around me, or even yeah. I want to have these types of behaviors, yeah, um, and then know that once you get there it will be totally unsatisfying yeah <laughs> you'll be headed somewhere else right so in your own practice yeah. as you practice more yeah. how has how has your sort of pole setting changed yeah well i won't i mean i can talk about myself but i'll just make some general comments maybe i mean i don't mind talking about my own self but let me just say this um i really appreciate what you're saying because um let me see. I don't see any monks or nuns in here. And it doesn't, by your dress, uh, looks like no cave dwellers. Although that can be deceiving, so there could be some cave dwellers in here, but I doubt it. We all live in the world, right? And we've got whatever that looks like for us. So, first of all, I don't think that we're saying that you shouldn't have any intentions or goals around how you want to live. So, for example, for myself, you know, this is maybe a little weird, but I'm just trying to kind of make the point. I don't want to live homeless under a bridge. And I'd like to, I'm not that materialistic of a person, so I don't need a gigantic house. If any of you live in a gigantic house, that's fine. I'm not commenting on that. But I'm just saying, for me, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I'm simple, but, you know, there, I do have a preference there. There, So I think it's fine to, to look at how we're living in the world and make sure you're taking care of yourself. And, and you know, that's just part of being a human being and we're in our society and all that. So that, I'm not saying you have to throw that away. All I'm suggesting is that we want to... We just want to be aware on whatever choices we're making whatever we're going after in our lives, whatever our goal or our intention or our long-term vision is, that we get as clear as we can be about what the potential payoff is and what the, any inherent limitations are. So, for example, um, you know, if you think, I want to have this kind of house, right? Okay? So, if you get that kind of house there will be some certain payoffs that you will get from it, right? 
maybe you'll love the neighborhood and it'll feel good and you'll have your garden and you know I'm not saying you won't have any pleasure it won't feel great you'll feel a sense of maybe security oh I'm not a renter now and I can have my own home or whatever all of that's real so you don't have to throw that away but we also want to recognize that um, it's kind of what you said if we think that's what's going to do it for us in the ultimate sense then we're set up for uh, a disappointment right you Right. So we just want to be aware of of what we're uh, the limitations of things. And so the whole Dharma is saying that the way most of us as human beings tend to live our lives, and I don't think the, the Buddha was being judgmental towards us about this. I think he was just pointing out this is how it is for human beings. The way it is for human beings is, and you can see if this is true for you. Um, again, it's kind of a cliche to say it this way, but it really makes the point. We're trying to get more pleasant experiences in our lives and get more of what we want. And we're trying to have less unpleasant experiences and have less of what we don't want in our lives, right? There's nobody here trying to have more of what they don't want and less of what you want in life, whatever that is for you, right? That's, I mean, it's, it's silly to say it. It's so obvious, right? So we, most of us as human beings, we spend our whole, once again, that's not a judgment. It's just kind of pointing out to all living beings sort of shrink away from unpleasant stimuli and go, to, you know, if you take a bacteria and put the kind of food they like, it would go to those nutrients. And if, say, if they didn't like light, it would kind of move away to the dark, right? It's just part of being a living being. So it's built very deeply into us to do that. So, but we want to start to wake up to those patterns because if, if that's what's driving everything we're doing and we're not aware of it, we'll spend our whole lives trying to set up circumstances in a certain way and avoiding other circumstances, right? Whether, if, whether it's conscious by actually having our lists and our goals or just unconsciously going about our day, we're still kind of operating in that way. So, that's all right. But the problem is if we think... if all of our happiness is put into that alone, um, I think it's a setup for disappointment. Because as you say, you can get all the things off on your list and maybe you'll feel the same way you feel now. I mean, then, now. You know, it doesn't necessarily bring the happiness or the peace. What the Dharma is saying is, on an, on a, so that's a conventional sense of happiness. And so we want to acknowledge the conventional sense of happiness. Then there's sort of the, or the conditioned, conditional happiness. Then there's this unconditional happiness. This is more what, what uh, this woman was sharing earlier about her difficult work situation was a great example about that, where rather than setting up life to look some certain way, we shift our relationship to whatever it is that's actually happening. It's a different kind of way to find our happiness and our peace. So there's these two ways, right? Changing the situation making it look a certain way, and another way which is changing our attitude, our relationship with whatever's happening. I think they both have a place. They both. So I don't think it has to be an either-or. Right? So I remember when I was young, um, I had a list too, and I actually sat down, I remember I was 18 or 20 or something, and I said, okay, 10 years from now, assuming I'm still alive, I'll, I'll be living, life will look a certain way. I'd rather... Uh, direct it in a conscious way to be a certain way. So what do I want? And I had everything. I wanted to be able to bench press a certain amount. 
I was a rock climber. I wanted to be able to climb to a certain level. This is the kind of relationship I wanted. I knew how much money I wanted. I knew how much, it was all out there. There was nothing about in here at all, actually, on my list. And then the list got somewhere. And I, actually, it's interesting. I just happen to remember that because about five years ago, I happened to run across that old list as I was going through some in my file cabinet, getting rid of some old, you know, you know 35 year old file or whatever. And um, I was looking back over the list. It was very interesting because I had kind of forgotten about a lot of it. I wasn't that uh, rigorous about going after it. Some of the things I had accomplished and some I hadn't. But the thing I realized is, and I'm not saying this has to be your answer, but there wasn't, I didn't care about anything on the list at all. Like it didn't really matter to me how much I bench press. Actually, I got to that place in bench pressing. You know what? I, I didn't feel any happier than I did before. I just, now I can bench press whatever and it just was the same. It wasn't, I didn't go into that um, glow of um, blissful satisfaction that I thought it was going to give me. That, yeah, you know, I see these guys pushing like two big plates. You know, I wanted to bench 225, right? But that, for, for weightlifters, that's not a big deal. For, but for me, you know, I'm not that serious about it. it was, that'd be a goal. Uh, plus, my brother was um, egging me on that he could outbench me. And like, I couldn't let him do that, right? So, uh, you know, and you see these guys. I wanted to be able to do that two big plates on each side, you know. You could do it, and it's like, I'm still suffering. <laughs> but now I can bench 225 <laughs> and suffer. So uh, what I notice now for me is, as I said, I st- and I'm not saying this is better. Or, you know, it's, I don't have an opinion of how anyone's, what anybody's intention is, where they plant their pole. But I would ask everyone to just reflect on the choice what I found for myself is what's really a lot of that stuff has kind of fallen away. And, you know, I still I want my son to be happy. I, mean, I have plenty of things in the world I want. I want to be OK and I want my family to be happy and I want, you know, there's lots of things. Right? If I did end up under a bridge, I might have a different feeling. You know, I wouldn't be saying, well, I don't care about money that much. It's easy to say that when you're not struggling to pay the bills. I want to acknowledge that, too. But in the bigger sense, for me, you know, my list has gotten very simple and very clear, right? It's um, I, one of them is, is about the states of the mind and the heart, really, about living in a way that's as awake as I can be, as free from clinging as I can be, as compassionate and loving as I can be. And that's my new list now for me. So it did shift, I guess, you know, over time, um, you know. I don't know. I kind of got into a little mini Dharma talk there, I realized. But uh, I don't know. Is that that I, I OK? Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you all. And um, we have about five minutes to the end. So why don't we just end with a short, a little short loving kindness uh, and dedication of merit meditation. We only have five minutes. So please, I invite you to get uh, as comfortable as you can. If your body's hurting and if you're able to shift in a way that'll be more comfortable, please do so. And I always like to start, so let me invite you with um, to start by making sure your mindfulness is connected, if it's not already, if you're not already doing this, back into the body, 
checking in just to see what the whole experience in the body is. There may be certain experiences that are really popping out to your awareness, like tiredness or achiness. Or or it may just be a general sense of being in the body. Checking in with the states of the heart and the mind. Just so the whole experience of being right here, right now in your uh, meditation posture. And then also inviting you to notice, in addition to whatever your experience is, how you're relating with whatever your experience is. How you're being with or holding that experience. And especially if it's very strongly um, unpleasant or pleasant, it's a really interesting place to notice, can we have that sense of allowing or letting be? In other words, letting the, the expression of our being in this moment uh, happen in, in a way that's with, in a non-interfering way. Sometimes that's not so easy to do, in which case, again, it's like the hot coal. We're not able to let go and let be. So we need to have some acceptance for that place in us, because then that's what's actually happening right in the moment. So that place of of self-acceptance or letting yourself be is a a great place of uh, kindness, of loving kindness for yourself. So if you'd like, then, um, letting your awareness expand out, if you'd like. You could stay just with yourself. But if you'd like, just, just expand and include all the other people here in this meditation hall together. All of our fellow practitioners. What does that feel like to let your heart expand and hold everyone here just with a sense of kindness and care? And if you'd like, even actively radiating loving kindness, metta was the term to everyone here, whether it's a felt sense is good, a wish, a prayer, an intention. There could be words if you'd like. May everyone here be happy and at ease peaceful. Everyone here be freed from suffering. And then you could stay with this group if you'd like, or you might want to allow your awareness to radiate your metta, your loving kindness, to radiate out even further into the community, really out into the whole world and beyond. Sending that same loving kindness if it's a wish, if you want to use some of the phrases. You, know, you could repeat, you know, may all beings be happy or peaceful, at ease, or just a felt sense. And you may want to take a moment to, if you are doing that practice, to reflect that if you are radiating out loving kindness to the whole world, it does include some beings that you may not care for. What does it feel like just to notice, oh yes, 
so-and-so is included in that too. Just to notice how that is for you. Not to do anything now, but just to start to pay attention. And then finally, we'll just uh, do a short dedication of merit to end. So reflecting that uh, we've all used our time wisely this evening. We've come together to meditate together, um, to talk about and reflect on and share around this topic of wise use of intention. Not just intention, but the wise application of intention. And so anytime we, we practice in this way, we're cultivating these wholesome, good qualities in ourselves. And to know that that's, a, of course, great benefit to ourselves, but also a great benefit to other beings. Everyone, certainly, that we interact with. In fact, it's not possible to practice for yourself alone. And so to make that more conscious, we offer up if there's been any good qualities or wholesome qualities, if there's been any merit that's come about or been generated or obtained by our time together this evening, let us offer it up. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. Wishing may all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful and may all beings come to an end of suffering. Thank you all very much for your practice this evening.